On today's pod, we have Dr. Roberto Botello. Rob is someone that I don't always agree with. Not in terms of what his ideas are, because I think his ideas are fantastic. It's sometimes it's just the way he presents his ideas. But one thing you can be sure is that I would never, ever disagree with Rob's motives. Because he is clearly somebody who likes to put people first. Because whether it's research or teaching, those are the people that matter the most. So please... Lean in and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Roberto Botello. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the pod. Today I have a very special someone, one of my favorite colleagues, somebody who both I want to give a big hug to at times and other times I want to strangle. And I'll explain what I mean by that a little bit later on. And if HR is listening, I'm just kidding. Rob Botello, Dr. Professor Rob Botello, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is at Ryerson. I'm a professor at Ryerson. I also have something called a Canarissus chair, which allows me to to do a little bit more research focused on that. Um, so I teach cell biology typically. I also run the graduate seminar courses. So most undergrads don't see that. So the graduate program is, or the graduate seminar course is one where stu- graduate students get to uh, present their work and practice their presentation skills at the same time where they uh, learn from outside uh, researchers, researchers from outside Ryerson typically. So it's a fun gig. So I have a, a, a decent sized lab where we study cell biology of the immune system typically, uh, or how organelles uh, are built. So these are little structures inside cells. And, and we're going to uh, talk. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit mm-hmm. later on. But I also think you're. I'm getting humble, Rob, right now because the CRC chair is quite pres- uh, prestigious. Um, mm-hmm. It does come with more funding that supports those researches that you were talking about, and mm-hmm. uh, it really is a, a cool opportunity that 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 you have been awarded and certainly deservedly so but let's before we get into research too much i want to go back to hometown where is hometown Mm -hmm. for you where were you born i was born in the middle of the atlantic uh a little town called (laughs) i I, you should be specific (laughs) islands islands yeah yeah Yeah. mermaids did not raise me um (laughs) i it was not atlantis it it was was, no it was still solid land but it was literally in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, meaning uh, equidistant more or less from Europe and, and North America. Uh, these islands called the Azores. Um, and uh, yeah, they're small islands. Um, they're very, you know, a lot of people can relate to Hawaii. So you can think of them as the Portuguese Hawaii. So the Azores are, are, are Portuguese islands and they're volcanic in nature, very beautiful nature you can't really beat that and yeah i grew up in a tiny village three thousand people at most you know it's farmland and fishing and that type of thing that's where home is from when you were a kid when you were a kid did you did you know what you wanted to be or did you have any sort of thoughts about what you wanted to be so when students ask me you know for guidance about you know how to get to what they are or you know how do you know what you want to be I'm a horrible example to ask me that question because I very much wanted to I since the beginning like four five six years old my mind was always in science always maybe you know at some point it was engineering or electrical engineering but it was always science and so you know it wasn't until high school that I turned my eyes towards biology and genetics but yeah, I'm, I was 
it was never you know medicine it was never you know teaching or anything i was it was science that's why i wanted what, to do what do you think it was if you were to try to retrace those steps what do you think it was about like i mean you're on an island right <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. you don't you don't have the same means but i imagine that sense of discovery is important because you're wondering what the world is beyond but what where, yeah. where do you think could you pinpoint what it was that, that made you uh, it, it, that's yeah it, it's a hard one to to know exactly you know my you know my parents were you know my <laughs> simple right they, they weren't my my dad did grade two that was it and my mom finished grade four right so it's not like we had books left and right or anything like that and i i think it was just an innate curiosity towards nature i've always liked you know learning about animals learning about our, our planet um, the the mountain ranges and its properties and the river so I, I i read a lot about that and it was it was space i love space right so it was always driven by curiosity towards the natural world and i think that really is what drove me to that because yeah there was it, it wasn't like i had you know personal role models to drive me towards science suddenly <laughs> that wasn't the case in in portugal right yeah, especially in a small little island with so few people, I imagine. And the, the industry is completely different, too, as you said. Like, it wasn't like you were at a university or your parents were university professors, right? No, not at all. Yeah. So, so, okay, so when did, you, when did you move to Canada? 89, 1989, I was 14 years old. Um, so I guess I, I just aged myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Anyone who could I, do math knows <laughs> I, I still remember it was February 7th. So in the winter when we arrived, and uh, sure enough, it was snowing uh, when we landed in Pearson. And yeah, that's that's when I left. I was So that would be your formidable high school year. So you start high school essentially in Canada. Yes. So actually, so the in February, so it was the middle of the school year. They decided to put me in, in grade eight just because of the English, to yeah. adjust to English as second language. And and then yeah, in September it was grade nine. And so going through your high school thing, you said you fell in love with biology in high school. What what was it that sort of stimulated that interest? It wasn't until I would say grade eleven when I took biology genetics. I was really drawn to how genetics worked and DNA and all that. And of course, at that time, it was much less known than we know, but it, it was really interesting, the idea that everything that you know is alive is built from a code and that you can change that code and it changes you, right? And all the organisms. So I was um, drawn to this idea of genetic engineering, which I ended up not doing, but that was, and, and you know, that's an example of okay where's the 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 interest really coming from two places there one was the topic but two also the teacher uh yeah. the I, I can't remember his name to be honest i i can't remember most of my teacher's names it's it's too bad english uh, was your second language we'll, we'll blame that well but by then i, I was doing quite well like it is it's again one of those amazing things like a year into it then you you're handling the language like if you're basically born here. It's it's that was striking how that happens. Yeah. Maybe again because I, w I came early enough. You know, had it been two or three more years, I might have had a, a harder time. But just at that cusp where you know I still had the accent, but it, it came natural to me within a year or so. Like, I don't think you have a but, Portuguese but yeah, accent the though. Teacher had them. Oh, I have an accent of some sort. Yes, you do, but uh, I don't. I could I, never play. People this. have told me it's French. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, I know, I know. You fake. I don't think a lot. Of, 
<laughs> but it's funny that I don't know if people can place Portuguese accents that easily. Like it's easy to recognize a French accent, an Italian accent, but for some reason, I, I don't know if, you know, it's not as distinct, I guess, as some other uh, accents, but yeah, I, I still have an accent. My brother and my sister who are younger don't, right? But coming here at 14, I think, you know, it basically cemented the, the accent. Even though I, I, everything I do is in English, right? I dream in English, I, if I remember my dreams. Everything that I do is natural comes in English to me now. Yeah. Huh. Okay, well, so, so, okay, so you can't remember your name of your, your, the guy who, or I don't, didn't say guy, but this teacher who was teaching you biology, but it, it was did a guy, resonate. Yeah. It was a guy. It did resonate a chord with you. Mm -hmm. So when did you make the decision that you were going to go to university? I mean, your parents, you said, were grade two and grade four. So were they uh, strong advocates in you going to university or is this a different decision? Uh, no, that this was always something that I, you know, in, in part coming to Canada was for, for that, to give me that opportunity and, and my brother and sister, right? So the, my parents knew, I already had family here. So we were actually the last ones to come. Uh, we were sponsored by my uh, aunt, my mom's sister. And was, the idea is to give me that chance, give my sister that chance and my brother who he chose not to do it, but we had that chance. Had I stayed in Portugal, I probably would have finished grade eight and that was it. At that time, grade eight was the required education and that was it. If you wanted to go further, you um, I had to pay or I can't, I, I don't know exactly the rules because I was young, but it wasn't expected to go beyond grade eight. So I always knew that I wanted to go to university, right? So I built, and at that time, high school had the OEC. It was always meant to, you know, and my mind was always on that. Right? To be a scientist, I had to go to university. For sure. And so you went to the University of Toronto, correct? Oh, no, that's a lie. Did uh, you go to York? No, I, I, my undergrad was at York. And my okay. was at UFD. So were you a good undergraduate student? That's another example of how I'm a bad example for something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, so, uh, actually, you fit right in with the rest of us based on everything that faculty uh, members have said in this podcast. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not like you where I, I've always done well. So I know you said in the beginning, you, 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 you know, I think you said it. So you oh, you, sorry. You always have done well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, no. I, what, I, what I meant is that my bad example is because sometimes people, you know, struggle and then they want, you know, they, they find themselves. But I, I'm, I'm not like that role model where, yeah, I struggled and, and then I woke up and things worked out, right? I am I, a bad example in the sense that I always did well. I, it, it was natural to me to, I studied, um, but I, I worked for it. It's not like I went to sleep and just knew everything. But I've, it's always been, you know, A's and A pluses most of the time. Oh, very cool. So, and when you went to university, you, you said you went to York University, is that correct? Yeah, York for my undergrad. And, and you were always a good student, but when did you fall in love with, or the idea of going to graduate school? Again, uh, because I, I always wanted to be a scientist, uh, I, I guess I knew that that was a requirement. I had to do a, a doctorate, a PhD. You can't do science, typically, even back then, without at least a, a doctorate. So I, that was the path I needed to take. There was no ambiguity, right? And, and this is where I, I, feel, I feel like some students struggle, is you know, there's ambiguity about what they want to do and how to go there, get there. And of my path uh, that I wanted to take, and I knew I wanted to take, it, it was never a question. So I had to go to grad school to do research, to learn that, to become a scientist. 
So, and that's um, for sure. But how did you know, how did you know that, that like, cause I, I mean, I wouldn't have thought about being a scientist as a young person, but you seem to know that you, what exactly how you had to get to be there. Like, do you, do you remember it was like a documentary you, you watched or something like? <laughs> that's a good question. I, I don't know how I, I know. I, you know, I, you had to go to university. I, how did I know that? I, I guess, you know, high school, my, I must have learned that in high school, right? OAC and, you know, what the things you need to, to do in order to go into be a, a, a biologist, which is what I had in mind at some point. I, I you know, honestly, I don't have, rec, you know, rec like what I talked to a teacher, maybe it was some kind of academic advisor back in high school that gave me this information. Honestly, I, these are things I have so long ago. I don't have to. Because I, I know, I, mean, I was also thinking, I wonder if you, you're a pretty bold guy. And so being bold, you might just literally go and say, like, to your professor at university, I want your job. What do I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> and so did you ever have any one of those moments? You can you no, I, I, I will tell you, my undergrad, as, as an undergraduate, I was definitely not as, you know, wait, you're calling me bold, I guess. Uh, I was not not like that, right? For my like I so my path to research started off second year where I got lucky, and I I managed to score a um, summer studentship with uh, Dr. Peter Moons. I, you know he's passed away, but he was my genetics teacher, and I I liked his personality. It was very intimidating, by the way, but I liked his personality how he approached the topic, and I was doing reasonably well in his course, and I. I went to him and I said I wanted to apply for summer uh, studentship and I got that and that's really where it all went from it was that single event you know given the opportunity to work in the lab interacting with a grad student uh, Madalena in his lab and that really led to where I am today right but yeah. how did I get there I again it I innately I always wanted to do science so this is the, what you need to do to do science you, you need to be in the lab Right, yeah. and then go to grad school. These are things that I somehow knew, or along the the lines you learn from conversing with people. You just doesn't make a, a dent, or it's not. It's it's a typical conversation you don't just recall, right? But it led you to that path, right? It wasn't memorable, in, it was just normal conversation. But I knew this is what I needed to do. Yeah, and where there's a will, there's always a way, right? And so you yeah. just sort of forged ahead. Okay, so you finished your um, your undergraduate degree. You then decided to go to grad school now at yes. the University of Toronto, Toronto. Yes, correct. Yeah, and so, so mm -hmm. what? Did, just briefly, Cole's notes. What was your research on, um, and what did you take away from that interaction? Well, before I answer that, I actually, you know, at York, I did a lot of, it was more molecular genetics. It was more about DNA and transcription. And then in my last year of undergrad, I did a, I had again an opportunity to do a summer work at SickKids, right, with Sergio Greenstein. Uh, and that really changed my perspective of what I really wanted to do. So, you know, again, I, I, I'm saying, you know, I always knew what I wanted to do which is science, but the exact science, that's the kind of thing you can't really know for sure until you experience. And so this is what, the reason I'm bringing this up before I say what it is, PhD, is that that single event changed my mind of what I wanted to do for grad school. Whereas before I was thinking more, oh, let's understand transcription and how genes are expressed. Working with surgery was all about phagocytosis and microphages and immune cells and microscopy. And I really, you know, just lit up a different curiosity in me. And that is what led me to do my PhD with Sergio Greenstein, uh, doing exactly that. So as a PhD, my work was trying to dissect uh, 
signaling molecules uh, that lead to macrophages, which are immune cells eating foreign objects like bacteria, right? That, that was yeah. my PhD, right? And that path was again, just an accident, right? I uh, happened to come across an opportunity to apply to sick kids for summer. He interviewed, he saw my application, asked me for an interview, blah, 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 there. Start the path to where I am today. Very cool. And so, okay, so then after U of T, PhD, where did you go? Before th thinking um, about your transition to Ryerson. Sure. Um, so once you finish your PhD, which you know was what, five and a half years or so, uh, so it's a long process. Although I am always reminded by Sergio that in my last year, so I, I, I'm one of those cases where things worked out really well in the beginning. <laughs> People hate me now. <laughs> and then, you know, the last year and a half, I kind of chilled. So I, 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 I took my time. I, I still have, I remember a conversation I had with Sergio about, you know, what's happening here. You know, you, you want to get more things out than work back to work. Uh, so I, I, was, I, I was given a talk to talking to. But either way, uh, after five and a half years of my PhD, I decided that I wanted a different environment. So during that time, I still lived with my parents, which has pluses and minuses, but I wanted to really change it up. And, and so I decided that to the West Coast, I was going to California. And so that's what I did. I uh, submitted a few applications for a postdoctoral fellowship. And one of the people that I wrote back and interviewed was uh, Dr. Scott Emmer. He was at UCSD, University of California, San Diego, and that's where I went in 2004 to do a cool. postdoc in California, San Diego. And how many, how many years were you down there? So my postdoc ended up being split in half, same lab, but we moved. So I was in California for about three years, and then he, Scott Emmer, got an opportunity at Cornell University in upstate New York. And so I wasn't done with my postdoc, so I ended up moving to Ithaca, which is where Cornell is, for another year and, and a few months before coming to Toronto. Very cool. And so you were applying for faculty positions here. Mm -hmm. um, and when did you start at Ryerson? So, you know, so people know, uh, normally you have to, when you start applying for faculty, you know, you, you usually have to send multiple applications. So I did. I actually had sent applications to a couple of places. I was interviewing at the University of Saskatchewan, actually, when I got an email from Ryerson in 2008 for an interview, which made me very happy because I wanted to come back to Toronto. And so I started at Ryerson in 2008. Very cool. And we're glad that you did because you've been a, a role model to a lot of students and, and, and a lot of faculty colleagues as well. And it's been great having you here. Did you ever think about leaving Ryerson since you got here? So the answer is no, in part because I, I, I find myself having loyalty. I, I think that's a trait of many people. And Ryerson has been one of those places where it's been evolving and growing so much and we can have a direct role in, the, in that process that it made it fun and still evolving. And we still have a, a role that's beyond, you know, just being a professor or doing research. So I'm draw, I've, I've been drawn to that, and I, I, I'm glad to be part of a community that's been evolving. So the answer to that is no. I, I can't say that, you know, if the <laughs> one day if the opportunity comes knocking on the door, uh, maybe. But my loyalty, right, it, it's with Ryerson right now. I, I, I want this place to do really well in, and uh, make it grow and become a good place to work and study.
And I think, and I think it shows. And you're also one of the reasons why you're, you were one of the first people to say be on the pod, but it took a while to schedule you because you've been so busy with a hiring committee where we're bringing in new people mm-hmm. and you get to shape, shape the team that, that, that are, it supports, not necessarily supports you, but the people that you've worked with in terms of colleagues. And yeah, so it's colleagues. Right? Uh, yeah. It, it is, it is what makes a difference. And, and uh, yeah, like one of the things I said in the introduction was that you're, you're one of those guys that you want to, you want to hug and you also want to strangle because you want to hug because you clearly have the same, you have the same big picture global ideas about how to make this place better and what's important for students. And, and then the strangle part is because sometimes the strategies are very different and you're stubborn, <laughs> but, but that's me. And well, you know what, again, but, but Brian, but Brian takes two people to be stubborn. So the fact that you want to strangle me is because you're also stubborn. Have you thought yeah, about maybe, that? Maybe. Uh-huh. Except, <laughs> maybe. Anyway. Um, on, you're, so you're wrong on this. You know that. No. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, there you go. I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to do it. Okay. So, all right. So <laughs> let's talk about your, your research. I know that's what you spend a lot of time doing. Actually, you do a fantastic job at teaching too. And I, so I do want to touch on that. But let's start with your research. Give us the Cole's notes of what your lab does now. Um, so uh, the, the umbrella that keeps it all together is trying to uh, pin down how the heck uh, our cells build their internal structures, right? If you think of it as a, uh, the cell is a, as a city, how do you building structures inside that city, right? And then how, you know, buildings, let's put it that way. And then how do you move things between buildings? So we spend a lot of time trying to understand how the heck a tiny little structure like a cell becomes so complex internally. So that's the big umbrella, right? And of course, it's, it's too big. We got to pick our battles. So we tend to focus on uh, these organelles called lysosomes, which are basically... Um, cellular structures that are in charge of degrading things you don't want. They're part of the clearance pathway, right? People have called it the garbage can, but there's so much more than that. They're smart garbage cans, if you're going to call it that, because they can sense their environment. They can make decisions, instruct the cell on what's happening and really clean up. I imagine, you know, when Toronto has the garbage truck uh, strikes, it's, it's chaos. It's disgusting. So these organelles are in charge of removing things we don't want to keep you healthy. So we spend a lot of time trying to understand that, and particularly in the immune context, using these lysomes to eliminate things like bugs. You don't want to have a microbe inside your cell. How do you get rid of it? So we, uh, we focus on that, among other, a few other things. Yeah, and I and I sat on a on a defense meeting with you last week, so I literally see the images that were in the presentation. So it's that's well well explained, well said. What when you think about your role in the classroom, how does that transcribe to the way you communicate uh, biology to people in terms of making it interesting? Because I think you are a pretty popular guy. I know that the, our listeners have said some good things about the way your course worked and ended this semester. What, but how do you find that balance between? you know, this active research component and also doing really well in the classroom? Well, I think they go hand in hand, right? Uh, so for the, the, to me, my job as a, as a teacher is not to just throw information at you. You can find out information in the book. I think what makes a, a good experience, classroom experience is, it's not the information necessarily, it's the storytelling, it's the narrative, it's the passion. Right? If you are there just reading in a monotone voice, 
you know, why, what the heck is the point of doing that, right? So, so for me, I go to class and to me, I'm excited about teaching because I want to tell you a story. I want to show you how cool cells are if I'm teaching cell biology and, you know, maintain the perspective of why this is important. I always say in the start of cell biology courses, like this is, this is not cell biology. This is a, a story about you. It's, it's about you, right? It's the, we, we're talking about cells. The cells you're made of 50 billion of the trillion, actually 50 trillion of these cells. You know, it, we're learning about ourselves. And if you create a narrative and you make it interesting and you show the excitement, people are drawn to that. Like anything else, it doesn't have to be science. So one of mm -hmm. I was going to say. So one of the one of the things that's also important that people don't realize as we're sharing that narrative, we are getting we're recruiting to our research environment, right? We're we're building yeah, absolutely, and interest very early. You mm -hmm. do a good job though of of making sure that people understand that in the molecular science course, though, too, right? Like the idea that because because as you mentioned in the in your intro that you know you teach this course for graduate students where they give presentations all the time. And quite often you will stop the presentation and say, look, this is what we have to do. And probably a very stern, overly stern voice, but, but I think it really resonates them. Why is that such an important skill, I think, uh, for our graduate students? Uh, well, presentation and talking is the core of, for example, in an interview. It's the core of how you interact with people. Right? If you are talking to someone and you can talk to that person and convey an idea but not just an idea, but an idea that is conveyed in an excited way, in a way that you lights up the other person's interest. Man, you're way ahead of the competition if you can do that, right? So I, I really, you know, I strive to tell students, keep that in mind. If you are going to talk away, either boring or in a way that is dense and no one gets you, you might as well not be there. So the student people, students and faculty, <laughs> anyone really, this is a... This is a life skill. If you can realize that, that the ability to communicate, especially during a presentation, especially during a conversation uh, with a small group or a large group, you're, you're leaps uh, and bounds above people who cannot do that, right? Yeah. At I, the end of the day, that. yeah, well, I, I also wanted to say that at the end of the day, you have to have substance, right? You can be a great storyteller, and but you know, if the substance is not behind it, eventually that also shows up, right? So you want to have the, the both, the, the narrative and also the substance, the ability to solve, problem solve, and you know, really think about problems. Yeah, and so before, but before those people get to that point though, what is it that you see in a student, in one of your pre-recruits? Like somebody who comes to you and says, Dr. Vitello, I'm interested in doing research in your group. What are you, what are you looking for? So, Maybe again, this is a common theme for myself, but it, uh, I, I like to see someone who is passionate and excited about what they want to do, right? And one, and two, if you're going to be passionate and excited about that, and believe me, that doesn't mean there's no frustration with that, right? That, as you know, in science, you know, you can be excited about something, but a project will slap you across the face multiple times before you get to the For other sure, side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know, there's that persistence and, and the attitude that, okay, I started this, I'm going to finish it. That's really what I want to see, right? Engagement, passion, and commitment to finish what you start. It's not the A plus, uh, you know, um, it, it's not that. It, it's, it's, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to learn and I want to be part of a team. 
if I you, see you those a, qualities, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Do you have a soft spot for those people? Like, so for me, I, I like recruiting, you know, the diamonds in the rough because I, I was a shitty student and I want to create that opportunity. Do you, do you have any soft spot for those people or do you, does that even play any factor in your mind at all? Sorry, which, which people? The, the idea about the grade of the student, because you were always a good, like my tendency is to, to sort of support people who may have had a similar experience to me, but you were always a good student, as you said. So do you, do you put any weight in marks at all? I, I do put some weight on in marks. It's an, it's, it's a, it's an indicator, but I also look at the, the performance over the years, right? So, and, and some people always do better in some courses than other types of courses. So I look at all that. And over the years, I've had uh, a range of people who have, you know, like done extremely well to people who are in the lower scale. And I, so this is what I'm saying. If you can come to me and show that you're interested and you're captivated by it and that you, you want to work and you want to, you know, give your time to contributing to the team, that, that to me is more important than a, an A plus or a, a B minus, right? Um, but clearly, you know, it, you know, when it comes to research, there's a lot of things going on. You, you have to learn the background in order to try and solve a problem. You can't not solve problems if you don't know the, what's behind the problem, right? And so yeah. that's where that content material is important. But no, I, I would say I balance my, I, I take a more balanced view of, of students. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you like best about your job? There's multiple things, right? It's, it, so one thing that maybe is not appreciated about science is that it ends up being a, a it, it's a team effort. It's, it's about people. You know, if you watch movies, <laughs> you know, the stereotype is a scientist, a mad scientist in the bench with their lab coat and, you know, broken glasses and they, they socially inept and, and, and don't really interact with people, like hiding in a corner doing their mad science, science experiments. That's not what science is about. Science is about interaction with people, whether it's conferences within your own lab, between people. You know, the best science comes by talking to people. So I, I like that aspect. I like that, you know, to have a, a, a good sized group where people can, you know, present and talk and, and share and, you know, and, and communicate, talk to colleagues. So I find that to be a, a very fulfilling aspect of science. That is often, especially in, 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 in the media, not conveyed at all. Yeah, it um, seems like we're very insular, but you're right, we're, we're yeah. not, we're, we're not we're insular not. at all. No, if you are insular, you're defeating the whole point, right? Yeah. So that's yes. one aspect. The other aspect is, you know, along the same, the same category, this, this is a, a job where, you know, it's about training and, and growing people. Uh, I benefited from that view from my mentor, uh, uh, Sergio Greenstein, my PhD mentor. He took care to grow you as a person. So it wasn't just the science. He, he actually took me one time to listen to, to the Toronto Symphony because I was always listening to hip hop. He's like, nah, we're gonna go listen to classical music. How many PIs do that, right? Yeah. Um, he, uh, he, you know, Sushi was bleh, I'm not even, he, you know, he had a huge influence in me. You know, as part of me was me opening up to the, the you know, opening my mind up too. But, you know, the, this, my point is that this, this is a job about, that allows you to have an, an impact on people, hopefully 
constructive. It's not always constructive, believe me. Yeah. Uh, there are those who shouldn't. <laughs> they, they have a com completely different uh, effect on people. But it, it is a privilege to, to deal with people, to have students learn from you and, and as they learn about themselves too, right? So th those two things actually is what I like about my job. Awesome. Um, inter interaction and, and people. What, what do you like least about your job? Writing constantly. So it's not so much writing, like grant writing. It's something that I, I, I like and I dislike. I like it because it gives, it's an opportunity to really think about things. I dislike the fact where you have to spend hours refining the grant, right? Bringing down to the, the ideas down to a certain number of characters because the, you know, the institute that is potentially funding you has you, you says that you only have 3000 characters to, to write that section. That I despise, <laughs> but it's yeah. part of the job. Yeah, and I think, I think it's, I mean, I like the creativity too of writing a grant. I don't like the competition of it. And this, this, this formula, this rubric, this, the hoop jumping part is what I don't like, which is just sort of what yeah. you described. That and INC yeah. forms, if anybody at the registrar's office is listening, <laughs> INC forms suck. Yeah, they do <laughs> suck. All the little <laughs> forms, they, the, yeah. the forms suck for sure. Yeah, yeah. forms suck. Yeah, so, okay, so what inspires you most about your job? Well, okay, so there, there's the science, which is fun, but the science actually develops slower than anyone wants to admit or care for. So while you have that, you know, discovery that you go, wow, cool, it, it, it's rarer than anyone wants to appreciate or care. So you got to have other things entertaining you, or in, motivating you, or inspiring you. So I, again, I think people, I, I really am I'm drawing this idea that people like I think it's true for anything right people make the job people make the the venture right and yeah. so people yeah I agree the I right agree. the right person right it's not always there are some individuals like everything else where you're like ah but uh, the right <laughs> the right person is would you care to list some on the pod it's just me and you uh, well, this, 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 this guy Brian Coivisto is pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah, he's a jerk. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's get to the rapid fire, the funner, lighter questions. The short answer, or as long as you need to make it. What factoid do my colleagues know least about me? We stumped Costin mm. on this one. <laughs> well, I think most people know that I didn't used to drink until I was twenty-seven or so. Oh, I Did forgot you about that. Did you? I, did. Oh, I, I, I don't remember the exact day. I just I remember you saying that, and I thought maybe you wanted to be a preacher or something. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I went through high school and undergrad without drinking. Wow. And and then grad school. You know, I told I told you grad school is about personal growth. So I eventually said I'm drinking. There you go. <laughs> Actually, it would have really changed our relationship. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Brian Quivisto would have been a real jerk. <laughs> All right, okay, so that's a good one. That's a really good one. Okay, so what famous person, current or otherwise, would you most like to go for dinner with and why? Ooh, these uh, questions are always tough because you're always asking for the one person as opposed to a range of people. I, I, I'd like to, uh, well, I would, uh, uh, Donald Trump, because then I will have the chance to kill him. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good, the fun rod came out. Hey, okay. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, Jason. Thank you. No, no. That's true. I guess the server, the Secret Service is now uh, putting me on the other list. That's a hard one. Uh, so this is Dead or Alive? Yes. Wow. Okay. Jeez. That's a tough one. Well, you know, a few names that I could throw. Obama, Obama and Justin Trudeau. I, I think I like to meet them. Preferably okay, at the same table. Oh, why the same table? Let's say they were. Yeah. Let's say you were able because to Because they, you know, the whole bromance. I like to see that and, and be participate that in, in that uh, interaction. I think it'd be fun. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think we I could. Think I, we, I think, I think I'd like to see a recording of you for dinner with those two. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Yeah, there you <laughs> what go. Would, what, what, what would be your question? What would be the first question you asked them? How'd you guys do it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I could actually, just you know, I, I, actually, Justin Trudeau would be okay. Actually, more fun would be Pierre Trudeau. Yes. I think, I think so, too. He, I think he would be a lot more, just because he was a lot more genuine about things. Justin way Trudeau, more candid. I, I, exactly. I, I, I wish Justin was more candid and, and in your face type thing than instead of being so measured. But I think we could benefit from that attitude. And especially when uh, targeted to, to, towards all the bullshit that's going on. Can I say bullshit? Yeah, yeah you can. You can okay. say it twice, in fact. Okay. <laughs> Make it three times. <laughs> all right. What is your what is your favorite food? Oh, uh, that's easy. Uh, that would be a mixture of Thai, Indian, and sushi. <laughs> I'm just like, what's what, that going to taste? Okay, <laughs> so well, okay, so but, but, uh, imagine the same meal. Yeah, yeah. Imagine buffet where you have Indian, Thai, and sushi. Okay, I would. That would be my dream. So it's Asian buffet. Yeah, it's all Asian. Asian, Asian food. Uh, screw uh, Italian and French and. Portuguese food. Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, Portuguese. Well, Portuguese food is okay if it's from my mom, but uh, from restaurants, good. Italian food yeah. is too boring, I'm sorry to say. Okay, so sushi is a popular answer. What, uh, what is it about Thai food? What's your favorite Thai dish? Oh, it's, it's spice. The spiciness. I love the spiciness. Uh, Red curry, you know, the, the, anything with curry is it's on my good side. Oh man, now I'm, now I'm missing the salad king as we have this conversation. I'm thinking, oh, why isn't that place closer to my house? Okay, so what is your favorite beverage? Oh, again, I'm, I'm not gonna give you single answers to this. Beer and wine, red wine. Oh, I don't see you drinking red wine very often. Well, because it makes me a little bit hot, especially in a hot, uh, <laughs> location small yeah, location exactly. <laughs> so beer is usually okay but you know dinner time red wine uh, I hate white wine don't ever give me white wine but red wine for anyone out there red wine <laughs> <laughs> for anyone thinking of giving me gifts <laughs> yeah, okay. okay so complete the sense if I was not a professor at Ryerson I would like to be nature photographer oh very cool why because I think that is an amazing job in that you get to travel the world, uh, see things that very few people will ever see with their own eyes. At the same time, I, you'll have to have a lot of patience because I can't imagine going to a, a place sitting there for three months before you get that shot, right? But there's something about it that I would love to, to do something like that. Again, it's the traveling and just 
nature, right? Being in nature. Everything, everything like understanding nature, or as you said, seeing things other people don't get to see, that makes sense. Because as a scientist, mm. that's kind of what you do. But then you said, <laughs> or being patient. And I'm like, that's not him. <laughs> that's yeah. and, and therefore why I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, something in the top 10 of your bucket list. I've given you some room. Oh, that's easy. I would love to fly down to Chile, the very northern tip of Chile, for example. Grab southern a car and oh, okay. This is my start off with yeah. one of the uh, tips and drive all the way to the other side of Chile. Have you ever done that in Canada? Have you ever went east to west? No, I've never done that. And yes, Canada would be an, another place to do that. But there's something about Chile that when you look at the map, it just it's begging you to do that. Start one end and go to the other. And I think you just get such a range of natural ecosystems and and that that you wouldn't get in on earth right with the andes yeah. and the beaches and, and you know from it from the uh the the amazon to basically cold weather in the in the very well if you go in the in the winter there uh, yeah. the uh, de Fuego. <clears throat> yeah that would be an amazing trip i don't know if i'll ever I, do it but yeah i've been to chile three or four times now four times now and i've seen most of it i haven't seen the atacama desert in the north but yeah, I, I agree. It's pretty spectacular. And to do the whole the whole run would be like on a motorcycle, I think would be awesome. Ooh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Except the winds in the south are crazy and they'd blow you right off your motorcycle. Okay. Um, then you get a car down, uh, when you get to that section. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the, other, right so the, other, the other thing I would do is fight a bear. Fight a bear. <laughs> <laughs> that came up twice. I recorded a podcast earlier, but a UFC guy that, that, that trains with a bear. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was kidding about that. But there you go. Yeah. Who is or was your favorite role model? It could be personal or career. Uh, my, my mom. My mom. Easily. My mom. Moms she, have won the day on the podcast because yeah. we've got that in all of our recordings today. Well, in particular, because she really, you know, my dad was not an easy person. He was an alcoholic and uh, she, uh, she protected us and fought for us. And I am where I am because of her. There's no question about that. And she is a wonderful human being, kind as you can imagine. And she's everything. Awesome. That is so cool. What was your greatest, what has been your greatest achievement so far? Well, I, I, you know, how do you answer that question? I, I think, you know, my wife and my daughter are, in terms of, of personal achievement, that they're on, right there on number one. They're both fantastic humans, and I'm so proud to have them as part of my life. And, I, you know, I didn't build them, <laughs> so they're not an achievement. Uh, but having those people in my life is a, an achievement for me, and because you know it, it's it's it enriches my life right so those two are like my mom a really important part of of my life professionally i i can't say you know what is the whole thing comes the whole thing works together i i can't pinpoint and say oh this is my top achievement you know getting chr getting papers graduating students you know getting good uh, uh, opinions from students, my teaching, that all goes together. I, I can't, you know, dissect that away as a single yeah. event. 
Oh, that's perfect. And you, I'm always impressed with with my peers who are doing well in all of those categories and and have that that family dynamic too. It's it's a very impressive and good good for you because it says it's not an easy balancing act, and people don't realize that to to be that successful in all those things. And sometimes we're just fortunate. <laughs> we're just lucky. Well, <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is an element of luck. Believe me, right? It's, yeah. What is your uh, greatest failure, or maybe not? Maybe greatest failures we all learn from our mistakes, but maybe something you keep doing that you would like to stop. <laughs> uh, this podcast, maybe. <laughs> Can I start over? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, failure, failure. Um, mm, I haven't learned to swim yet. That is a unacceptable. That's really you are stupid. the second person to say that too. That's a scene. Well, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, especially you, live, you, know, you grew up on an island, though, too. Well, but this is the thing. You know, I was just about to say that uh, people have that reaction and say, "But you lived in in an island," and my answer is always, "Yeah, but that island was solid, solid ground." <laughs> so I didn't have to <laughs> learn to, to swim. And, but yeah, it, it's it's a stupid thing that I, I need to address one day. I've actually taken swimming lessons at Ryerson, for that matter. I haven't been consistent. And I've gone snorkeling. You know, you put a, a snorkel suit and some fins, flippers. Uh, I can actually, not fins, flippers. Uh, and I can actually uh, do a decent job, especially in the ocean. You have buoyancy. But you put me in a swimming pool and I sink like a an anchor it's weird <laughs> all right what's <clears throat> all that muscle uh, mass you know yeah it's all the muscle mass that's exactly <laughs> what i was going to say um what concerns you most about the the future maybe either globally or personally humanity <laughs> can you narrow that down <laughs> no i i worry i think humanity is the problem uh, it, it's the solution for everything it's the problem for everything uh, unfortunately the more I see things, I, I feel like, again, it, it, the problem is it's, it's, there are individuals that want to work at it and solve problems and take action. And for every individual that does that, it feels like there's 10 other individuals that don't. And yeah. uh, I don't have any concrete proof and numbers to back that up but it feels like that sometimes and and that actually is what worries me right from global uh, warming or climate change to all these problems going on the problem to COVID-19 you know if everyone did what they're supposed to do the COVID-19 crisis should have been done by now because 14 days of incubation and the virus dissipates right but most people are not doing what they're supposed to do so it keeps you know going and going and going and I, I don't know how we're ever going to solve real problems when a good chunk of people don't care. Yeah. When we oh, they care, but they, 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 they care that someone else does something, right? Yeah. And, and they want to take it easy. So that, that to me is my biggest concern. It's a real concern. And it's, I think it's just built into humanity, right? We're not, yeah. we didn't evolve for this type of thing. Uh, yeah. And we're, and we're waiting for, everyone's waiting for the silver bullet, right? This thing yeah. is going to just... Maybe well, it, you know, the silver bowl is in our hands, right? It's, it's, you know, here's the easiest thing that at least the Canadian government could do right away. Prohibit all internal combustion cars, period, right? We could be, all be driving hybrids. Okay, maybe not electrical because you have to build the infrastructure, but why not have all cars on uh, being hybrid right away? 
I, it's the kind of thing like, why not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It's it, like it a band-aid. Sense. Yeah. Just tear, yeah. That, tear that off. All right, so anyway. what, uh, what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? Well, because my wife is from California, we travel to California, San Diego, quite often. So I met her during my postdoc there. Of course, when I met her, she probably didn't ever think she would be living in snow country, <laughs> coming from San Diego. Yeah. But yeah, we, we go there. It, it's a beautiful place of the world. And so we go there for family, but we also go there because it's, it's beautiful. And it takes you back to the other coast, that uh, mm-hmm. not the Atlantic, but the Pacific. And what is uh, your most productive time of day? It used to be a 11 p.m. Exactly. When you go to bed? <laughs> that, it used to be. During grad school, I was uh, a night owl. So I would come in, uh, I don't know, 11, go for lunch, have coffee, and, you know, didn't get going until 2 or 3. These days, of course, life is different. I would say, I would say I would, again, the groove around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So what is your favorite hobby? Well, I used to play video games quite a bit. That's died out. I watch too much Netflix. Probably that's the problem. And in terms of actual outside of the house, I I, I like to go hiking. Although, again, I haven't really done too much of that these days, but hiking was one of my favorite things to do. Especially when I was in California and upstate New York, there's so many hiking trails there in the desert and mountains. It was beautiful. I haven't gotten to the same level of activity that we would like to in Toronto, but that's one of those things I really like to do, hiking. When, you're, when your daughter gets a little bit older and then you can sort of show her that natural world, that'll be a real opportunity. Well, actually, well, she's, she's nine, so oh, we, yeah, I guess we, she's, we, we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we go. It's just a matter of frequency, right? I, when I was in California, upstate New York, basically every weekend, I would go somewhere new, right? And uh, it really, like California is beautiful because of that. It's, it's so easy to go. I mean, you have the ocean, you have the mountains, you have the desert. Uh, it's very easy to find new trails. Toronto is the same, but you know, driving anywhere in Toronto is a pain. Yeah. Uh, but hiking, hiking is a short answer. Is that that's why I would like to do more and more. Awesome. And what's your favorite color? I bet you thought I was going to forget that one. Oh, right. <laughs> Rainbow. Ah, <laughs> that's uh, a nice color. Uh, no, it's not a uh, glitter. Glitter is my favorite color. <laughs> no, no matter what shade. <laughs> my, my, daughter, my daughter has a, a shirt that says my favorite color is glitter, so can't take credit. Um, so I have a, a real answer to that. Uh, that would be red. And the reason is because my, when I was in Portugal, my favorite soccer team was Benfica, and their uniform was red. So red was always my favorite color because of that. Mine too, and there's not very many of us that say red, which is weird. I thought there would have been more red. It's the color of blood. Yeah, and it's also the color of the flag and Mm. everything. Maple leaves. Anyway, so what piece of advice would you give your second yourself for all our young listeners out there? Hmm. Don't be afraid of your professors. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Were you you weren't afraid? Well, I wasn't afraid. There's just an intimidation that comes with the territory, I think. So I, I totally I ended up working with Peter Moon's in my second year, summer. And, uh, but you know, it's not like it wasn't like a, I, I wouldn't just go there and have a chit chat, right? And it, it, there was always a de- deference there and uh, intimidation, uh, at least in the beginning, right? So I, I, I think too many students stop themselves uh, because they are intimidated and 
we're just people, man. We're just people. <laughs> yeah. No, we are, no matter what you may think by listening to this podcast. We, we are just <laughs> we have feelings. We have, with in regards to that. So how has uh, what have been some of the biggest challenges with COVID right now for you and personally or otherwise? And then also what are what has been your silver lining in this pandemic? Well, I'm, uh, I'm not doing this interview currently. I'm uh, outside. I'm inside to be quieter. But one of the silver linings is I got to be doing my work from my backyard. Right now, with the summer, with the weather being good, it's, it's, it sure beats my office, <laughs> even if it has windows. Yeah. So that was definitely a silver lining. I was spending more time at home with family. You realize how little time you spend with these people when you get to compare the amount of time before and after COVID-19. It's just ridiculous the amount of little time you spend with family. Yeah. The challenges, uh, at the same time, yeah, being home and finding, you know, especially with this school business, you know, my daughter is in grade four and, you know, she's supposed to do work and we are supposed to also, although my wife is taking the brunt of this, coordinate all that, right? Work with school and, and separation of work from home it's all a jumble right and those are i think the main challenge and of course every you know in terms of research you all got arrested we all stopped and so we're all trying our best to learn and and think about things but got to be in the lab in order to do science right yeah so that's, that's been a big challenge yeah well, Rob, this has been fantastic. I'm glad you could spend some time with us during this podcast day. We could go all day, but we'll have other opportunities, hopefully, <laughs> to get together for a well, refreshing yeah. adult beverage and, and, and catch up further. But I just want to thank you for your time today, and thanks for sharing with us on the pod. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. And, well, may, next time we'll, we can do this uh, uh, on shrooms. It'll be more entertaining. <laughs> Somehow I think it would be, yes. <laughs> I don't know that I'd ever hit the record button, though. <laughs> and if I did, I may not want to hit it again because it might eat me. <laughs> That's funny. All right. All On right, that man. note, have a great day, Rob. Uh, you too. Bye. Bye.